Welcome to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, episode 61. Today on the show, I have Tony Holler, track coach at Plainfield North High School. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to the podcast, episode 61. Thanks for being here today. Super excited to get you, uh, get onto the show with this guest, Tony Holler. He has been a huge influence in my own coaching uh, philosophy and life after hearing him speak at the original track football consortium a few years ago in the Chicago area of Illinois. Uh, Tony's philosophy towards team speed and sprint training is really something special. Uh, an amazing coach, a great guy. He is uh, head track and field coach at Plainfield North. He is the co-founder of the track football consortium. He has decades of experience in the field. Uh, by day, he is a chemistry teacher. And just uh, overall, it has been a huge, uh, really impactful to sprint coaches nationwide with his minimal effective dose and uh, feed the cats philosophy on speed. So he's gotten some great results doing what he has. He just this last year, he had a freshman, Marcellus Moore, who ran 10 4 0 in the 100 meter dash. I mean, a fast kid coming in, no doubt. But Tony, the, what Tony did with this guy uh, was just incredible. And, and I'm sure he has many great years to come in the speed realms. So uh, today on the show, uh, if you've heard Tony talk before, you've definitely, I'm sure, been impacted by his work. But um, even, even if you have, you're going to get something new out of this episode because we're going to go into not only his speed philosophy, but kind of how he got there, what things happened in his coaching life led to these uh, paradigm shifts that moved him towards not just doing what his coaches did, as is such a common practice. So my coach made me do 10 200s or made me do five 300s all out and I, you know, wanted me to throw up at the end of practice and thought that was great. Uh, what led Tony in his in his coaching life to to move towards this minimal effective dose ideology? So uh, Tony knows how to tra make track fun. When most people think about track, they think of these ridiculous workouts and it was so intense and, and uh, you know, I got shin splints and uh, his practices are nothing like that. They're the antithesis of the long, slow running model, which we so often see and he gets great results. Uh, also, uh, even outside the speed training, if you're you know strength coach, 
the minimal effective dose that Tony does, it makes you think a lot about like what we've talked on the show with Jeff Moyer about in not only speed, but the weight room and how little you need to do and get results. And so we're also going to go into like uh, his philosophy on lactate training, because obviously that is some volume to that, uh, but how he sets that up. And in track, obviously, you need some speed endurance. You need to run the 200 and 400. So how does he approach training for those guys? Uh, we're going to talk about his approach to resting, uh, X-factor plyometric workouts, which that the idea behind that is really cool. We get into that at, at a little bit of length, and that was a huge takeaway for me. Really enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to talk about fluctuating the mode of speed training throughout the year, peaking, rank, record, and publishing using the free lap timing system, and uh, just amazing episode. I'm so happy to have Tony on. He's just such a key guy in the high school track and field coaching world. And if you're interested, if you're interested in speed at all, this is a great episode. I know you'll love listening to Tony talk. Uh, let's get on to episode 61 with Tony Holler. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Well, thank you. Yeah, really excited, man. I mean, we've we've uh, known each other for a little while now, gone through the track football consortiums together, and I've grown so much as a, a coach, a speed coach, and strength coach as well from learning some of the things uh, that you, Chris, and, and the gang have talked about. And uh, Before we get, I guess, too far into some of the training concepts, though, and things, uh, could you give us a little recap of how your last track season went? It went real well. We had, uh, uh, I believe, we ended up Illinois number four in the four by one. Uh, we we had we medaled in the four by two. I had an, an incredible athlete named Marcellus Moore, uh, 14 years old. He turned 15 on June 30th, and Marcellus, in the last three weeks of the season, weeks 17, 18, 19, he ran 10:48, 10:48, and 10:40, which makes him the the fastest freshman in the United States, and also he's, uh, I wonder if there's ever been many 14-year-olds faster in the, anywhere. Uh, 1040 as a 14-year-old is very elite, and he was a, a great kid. He never missed a race. He never missed a meet. Uh, it was just an amazing experience. Yeah, 1040 is rolling. I feel like that's the, at that age, that time is only something you see in those Jamaican youth nationals, you know? Um, I think they had that. Do you see that 12-year-old girl? I think she ran like 23.5 or something like that in the 200. Yes. yes. Well, I, I, I worried about Marcellus because he ran 10.81 last August. Not last August, but the August before his freshman year as a 14-year-old and set the AAU national record at 10.81. And I knew he was coming to our school. And as a coach, to be honest, it's just scary as hell uh, to have a kid that fast because you worry, you know, will I keep him healthy, happy? Uh, will he improve his times? And, you know, it, it's really a scary thing. But, you know, the fact that he improved from 10.81 to 10.40, uh, that I feel really, really good about things. Yeah, he, he crushed last year. I mean, that's awesome for a freshman. I. I feel like he was like, yeah, of all the freshmen in the nation, he was an all-star, man. Uh, there was some kid up in Montana, I think a freshman who high jumped 7-1, this like man-child. <laughs> I was like, those are two two of the best freshman performances I think we've seen in a while. And so that's really cool that you're a part of that. I, I Before you were, uh, we started, Tony, you were saying you learned a lot from Mar working with Marcellus as well. Do you want to share some of that now before we get into things? Yeah, I, one of the strange things, Marcellus is only 5'7". I think he's going to grow. He wears braces. Uh, he has incredible feet. 
Uh, I, I think that, you know, I've learned a lot about feet and ankles from Chris Corfus and uh, whatever it is that makes people fast, I think his feet might be the most important thing. Uh, an amazing thing is I've always taught kids to sprint fast and loose and make it look easy. And I've quit saying that to Marcellus because there's nothing loose or easy about the way he runs. I describe him as an assassin. He, he just, when he runs past you at full speed, it sounds almost like firecrackers going off when his feet hit the ground. He is uh, just a, that's just the way he runs. I've seen great athletes who are able to run smooth and easy and still run really, really fast, but that's just not Marcellus. So a lot of the things that, you know, I, I'm sure not going to try to change that because he's been so successful. And I, I think he has a, a lot left in him because I think he's going to grow a couple inches and, and he's just such a good kid that, uh, I just think his best days are ahead of him. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned, and I like what you said about the feet too. I mean, shoot, I'm, I'm kind of on a mission myself to learn as much as I can about that, and it's, it's amazing how much cool stuff you learn in such a complex structure. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, to kind of see what comes out and and uh, in the the foot and sprint connection world uh, over the next few years. But uh, you mentioned uh, like not telling him to relax, you know, not overusing that crew, not using that cue. And the first time I think I'd even heard, it was just uh, recently in the Twitter world, some of the Altus guys, it might have been Stu McMillan, talking about uh, not ne not necessarily telling athletes to relax, and that's what everyone kind of says. Uh, but it's interesting that that cue, yeah, like what you're saying, that cue might not be the best for everybody. And that's really interesting to me how that's the case with him. Well, part of, I think, my growth uh, I got the chance to actually have lunch with Stu McMillan uh, at the last consortium. I guess not the last one, but back in December. And, of course, everybody wants to know about Andre DeGrasse's arm, his trade arm. And, and, of course, what we learned from Stu is that you don't change things just because it's not your stereotypical look. Uh, he truly believes that, that Andre runs best with one arm going straight, and he's right. So when I when I think about that, I think maybe we shouldn't change guys that are elite. You know, the phenoms are phenoms because they do it a certain way. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, the human body is such an amazing machine. I'm always amazed by uh, how athletes can put particular things together, even if they might have a particular joint issue or something like that that we would think is going to clearly mess them up, but they can they can succeed in many cases regardless of that. And, and find a way around it. Uh, that's, yep. that's always interesting to me. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. I, uh, so let's get into some sprint training topics there, Tony. And so I know a lot of people who are listening to this are probably, you know, you've written a lot of really great articles for Freelap, and, and when you always speak at the Track Football Consortium, you lay out your sprint philosophy, uh, low, you know, the basically the antithesis of the typical kind of, you know, let's run, you know, 14 200s and, and all this over distance stuff. And, but what I want to ask is I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. Uh, and so maybe you can kind of rehash a little bit about your sprint training philosophy, but I'm curious about how it evolved over the years. Like, how did you get, like, what were some big paradigm shifting moments that led you to say, Hey, I'm going to change what I'm doing here and I'm going to go this way. Uh, can you share a little bit and expand on kind of how your sprint program is, has evolved? Sure. Uh, first of all, you're exactly right. I am the opposite of Clyde Hart. 
as much success as he's had, and he's a legend and all that stuff. I make fun of Clyde Hart's program. I know that's pretty audacious for a, a high school coach from Illinois to make fun of the, the greatest track coach has ever lived. But I don't, I don't, I don't agree with his his training program at all. And that paradigm shift happened for me back in 1998. Uh, first of all, a little background before then. I ran middle school track, high school track, and college track, and I think I hated every minute of it. I absolutely hated it. Uh, I ran the 400 meters. I was good enough uh, to have some success and good enough to stick with it, but I just didn't like it. I was trained in high volume. I never got faster. Uh, it, it was just it was pretty dreadful. And then I became a head basketball coach right out of college. Uh, at one time, I was the youngest head basketball coach in the state of Illinois. And then strangely, in 1990, uh, four weeks apart, I got hired as the head track coach at Harrisburg High School, a small coal mining town in Southern Illinois. And I got fired four weeks later as the head basketball coach in a midnight coup. I almost things we called at midnight and said, you're not the basketball coach anymore. And so with four kids, I had to totally shift my focus to track and field. And I really coached track and field like most people do, the same way they were coached in high school. Even though I hated it, I just thought that this is the way you have to do it. You know, that toughness, that eight times 200, uh, that, yeah, you just keep talking about the warrior spirit and, you know, all that crap that, that goes into it. And three things happened in 1998 that really changed me. First of all, I'd already won one state championship in 1995. And in 1998, I had the best small school team maybe in the history of Illinois. And we went to the state meet, and my guys were all 400, 800 guys. Uh, like I said, a small school of 600 kids. We had six athletes under two minutes in the, uh, in the 800, and we got beat. We got beat that year because it was about 95 degrees, and our state track meet is a two-day meet. And it's kind of like my kids melted. And I'll never forget the headlines uh, in, in our newspaper that, that following Monday. It said, a great year and one bad day. And in the first paragraph, it said Chicago Leo won the meet with jumpers and sprinters. And I'll never forget that because I thought, yes, jumpers and sprinters over a two-day meet where we have prelims on Friday and finals on Saturday, I need to start changing my focus to being a middle distance coach to a sprint coach. Fast forward a couple of months later, I went to a clinic and saw a guy named Paul Souza. Now, uh, you, you might remember Paul. He was a uh, uh, 7'4 high jumper or something for Penn State. He coached at a small, high, a small college, Wheaton College in Massachusetts. And what he said was that he had four kids at D Division three school that were running sub-48s in the 400, and none of them had ever run more than a 200 in practice. And I immediately thought, God, I wish I was on his team. And then my mind started thinking, why not? Even if this doesn't work, I think my kids will like it more. Maybe more athletes will come out. Maybe, maybe the vibe will be around our school that track is a fun thing. The third thing that happened was I had four kids and they were all getting closer and closer to high school. And they started telling me that they thought that they wanted to play baseball in high school. And I thought, oh God, you can't play baseball. You know, it's, I'm the track coach. <laughs> and, and I started to think, gee, my own kids hate track the way I hated track. 
And so everything changed in 1998. And I started a program of less is more. We never ran a lap. We never ran more than 200 meters. We started timing 40 yard dashes. I started writing down the times, ranking them and put them, putting those times up on a bulletin board, which became the most popular built bulletin board in our high school. Uh, and then fast forward, well, won a couple state titles. I think, I think, yeah, 90, we won the four by one, the state four by one for the next five years. So obviously it was working pretty good. And then I went to a, a clinic and saw Chris Corfist for the first time. Chris was the assistant coach at York High School. And I thought that I was the only person in the world running this type of program until I heard Chris. And uh, Chris, uh, fast forward, Chris and I are now business partners and co-conspirators in crime. And we, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're two of a kind now. And, and, and it's heartwarming to me that, that many, many schools have adopted a, a sprint mentality. Uh, I, I call it feed the cats. And, and that sprint mentality, I think, is just so good for kids. That, that what happens when you feed the cats, the cats decide to come out for your program. Uh, no longer are your fastest kids walking the hallway. Instead, they're coming out because track and field is a fun sport. So that's, a, a, that's kind of the, actually the short version of the shift in my thinking. Yeah, no, that's, that's great stuff. I, I, I really enjoyed hearing that background. And yeah, the whole making track fun thing. I think so many people just think about track and they just think, oh, like they just think about running endless laps and, and brutal workouts. Uh, and not only is it, I think it's great what you've done from just a sprint training perspective, but just kind of like the team in the high school kid who wants to do track and the experience they have. I, I've been talking so much with the uh, colleagues of mine with the experience that kids get. And I think that that whole system you have fits in so well with that too. Yes. I, I'm, I'm like that way. I teach chemistry, honors chemistry five times a day. And I want every kid to think, I, I'll tell them tomorrow, tomorrow's the first day of school. And I'll tell them, I want my class, no, I'll tell them, this class will be your favorite class, not only this year that you'll ever take in high school. And that's a pretty big statement because chemistry is not typically fun. Well, I, I do the exact same thing for track. I, I want track to be the great, I want them going home after practice instead of bitching about the workout, saying, I love track. I, I love this. Gosh, we have a meet. It's coming up in two weeks, and I can't wait. to. And that excitement to me, gee, if you're not promoting that, then what are we doing in education? And uh, no, it, it really works great. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah I, I totally agree. I think that's great stuff, Tony. Uh, with your, uh, with, so when you originally uh, kind of transitioned, kind of off the higher volume, I think you said it was uh, uh, 90, 98 or 95. I, I apologize if my, my memory's failing me, but 99. Okay. Yeah. So with, with Paul Sousa, so did you initially adapt kind of like a, the a programming from Paul or did you, uh, uh, just talk with other people in that camp to come up with it? How did you, uh, kind of synthesize your initial lower volume, uh, low volume, kind of low, uh, low free, lower frequency type program? Well, that's a great question. Basically, I just sold out to the idea that I want every track practice to be fun. Uh, we started timing 40s and, like I said, record, rank, publish. And it was uh, uh, the type of thing where, where I just really just put all my eggs into the basket of pure speed. And that's for 100 meters, 200 meters, and 400 meters. Now, what Paul really helped me with, and, and to his credit, uh, every time I would email him a paragraph, 
he would write back four paragraphs. And I think I emailed him during that 99 school year, I think I emailed him probably 15 times. And what he really helped me with were the lactate workouts and, and how to get kids that are very undertrained to still be good in the 400 meters. And to this day, I, I still, uh, what he did was an incredible thing. He, uh, he was a great clinic speaker. He just totally owned the room and, and now he's a, a rock star. He, he's the lead singer for the uh, Velveteen Playboys. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, yeah, I saw that transition. That's, uh, I think that's really cool what he's, what he's doing. And great that you were able to interact with him on that level. I'm, I'm also glad that you mentioned the idea of lactate. Uh, so, and that's kind of what I want to get into next. I, when you, when you talk about that stuff, it makes me think of when I was, when I was in high school. I ran a faster time in the four by four, just basically just practicing high jump and short hurdles and, and having basketball season as kind of a base versus when I, my first year in college, I ran three seconds slower doing these brutal long running workouts. <laughs> and I was like, I was trying to figure it out back then. I had no idea. I thought I was in great shape. So it was, uh, that was an eye opening moment for me just as an athlete back then. So I always like to hear people talk about that, you know, how you don't have to, you know, don't have to run, run people in the ground to get that good result. Yeah, we uh, uh, we consider every well. First of all, I'll just back up. Uh, we never sprint more than three days a week, uh, ever, and and that includes a lactate workout because the difference between a sprint work and a lactate workout is that lactate runs are twenty plus seconds, and then incomplete rest and maybe another one or or another one. Uh, and so what we do is. We have we never do a lactate workout until the season starts. So we are constantly pure speed, pure speed, pure speed in the off season, or rest, and that's all we care about. Now, once the season starts, we will do nine lactate workouts in a 19-week period, only nine. And of course, we consider our meets lactate workouts, and there's about 18 of those. So in a period of 19 weeks. There's 27 lactate workouts, which it's less than, it's not that many, a little more than one a week. And in our lactate workouts, the volume is still crazy low. We do the 23 second drill where guys go out and see how far they can run solo in 23 seconds. And we measure the, the amount that they can go. All of our good guys, we, I think we had five guys over 200 meters last year, and that's why we were pretty good. Uh, and then eight minutes later, incomplete rest, they do it again and try to get within five meters of the first one. And then they, and then they lay in the fetal position for <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes. I call it the lactate war zone. And then they go home. And coaches say, no, wait a minute, what else do you do? No, I said, no, that's a lactate workout. Uh, the hardest lactate workout we did this year was what we call the four by four predictor where we run a 200 meters spiked up run in start at goal 400 pace. So, so if a kid's goal pace is 48, he runs at 24, he walks diagonally across the track, takes about three minutes, runs another, he tries to run another 24, diagonally across the track, runs another. So he runs three 200s in about a 10 minute time frame. And if you think that's easy, you ought to try it sometime. It's very, very difficult. And we call it a four by four predictor because I have this little formula I use where I take two thirds of the time 
an average of the total time and then add two seconds to that. So if a kid runs a 48, 48, 48, two thirds, no, I'm sorry. If he's, if his goal pace is 48 and he runs 24, 24, 24. So two thirds of his total time would be a 48. You add two seconds to it. And that is a 50 on the, for the formula. Uh, so if you can run 24, 24, 24, you are ranked, and of course we record, rank, and publish everything to make it meaningful and significant. We write that guy's time down as a 50. And what I found is with this workout, it's always within a second of being correct for the year. So, uh, uh, but the point still being is that we only ran on that day three 200s. That's all we did. And, and so we will have nine of those types of workouts during the year, and then we run really hard in meets. And the rest of the time is just trying to stay healthy. Yeah, and that, I'm sure it's a lot easier to stay healthy when you aren't uh, you aren't pounding on athletes quite so much. I mean, 600 meters of total volume. It's uh, uh, I think that it's hard to do a lot of damage uh, if you're uh, if you're doing that, and not that often too. And like you said, 27 times in uh, 19 weeks was it? Yes, 18 meets and nine workouts is all we do, and then. We just don't do much of anything else. I mean, during the season, with, with that much work that we have to do, we just we just really, really try to stay healthy. And uh, it's rare, hardly ever happens that my kids have any type of shin splint problems at all. Uh, our volume is just really, really low. And it really does help the fact that fast guys are attracted to our program and, and then we don't ruin them. We keep them happy. Yeah, I, I agree. I So the question I'm sure you inevitably get is like, what about that, you know, athlete here and there, if you get these, uh, um, but what about the athlete here and there who's like, oh, I need to run more or I need to, or maybe a parent comes to you and says, this kid needs to run more or like, I mean, what, ha, do you get a lot of that through the low volume program? Do you have those situations that arise? Uh, not any recently. Uh 13 years ago in Franklin, Tennessee, I had one situation where uh, a parent said that he wanted his son, who had run 47.99 for me in the 400, to get more endurance. And so, uh, so he, I told him, I don't care how he works out. I just don't want him to do some type of workout that I don't agree with in front of our guys. So he'd come to practice, maybe go through a couple of drills, and then uh, work out with another coach later that evening. And they do. He really got better at endurance, much better. But he never never broke 50 as a senior. <laughs> so you know that that happens sometimes. And you know it's it's counterintuitive, but you know when a guy slows up a little bit at the end of the 400, the parents sometimes think, yeah, they need more mileage, they need more endurance. And instead, uh, they just need to get faster and work on mechanics. Uh, they'll they'll be fine. And the deal is that. 47.99 was pretty fast for a junior. Uh, there was nothing wrong with him dying a little bit late in the race. So, yeah, that happens a little bit, but not very often, not nearly as often as it would in football. Yeah, it makes me kind of think of like, you know, the kid who dies a little bit uh, late in the race, and then the solution is all of a sudden a total paradigm shift into endurance world. Uh, yeah. Kind of like the same thing as, uh, you know, a kid isn't strong enough out the blocks, and you might get his 10 yards better, but it would hurt him in the last 50 meters or something like that, like with the overjudicious use of this this fixing solution. Uh, yeah. 
so it's uh yeah it's interesting concepts and and uh it's always good to see people who are doing doing well with with less uh what's uh when's the last time you used tempo workouts in your training how many years ago uh was that that did that die out in 99 as well or did you keep that with uh, Joe, i don't even know what a tempo workout is to tell you the <laughs> truth um i i i, I uh, no, we, we don't say the word tempo. We don't say the word aerobic, conditioning, fitness. We don't say the word conditioning. We don't do anything like that. Of course, all I just work with sprinters. I just work with guys that run the 100, the 200, the 400. Uh, yes, I would do tempo work if I was working with kids that ran the 800. But no, there's no place in, in my program for any type of tempo work. Gotcha. Uh, cool. So uh, let's uh, move on just a little bit. Uh, and then, so let's take on resting you kind of mentioned uh okay so like in a lot of programs you know you have your high high neural intensity days days you run fast and then on those off days a lot of people are doing their doing their slow tempo or bodyweight circuits or whatever uh could you share your opinion on rest days take on resting well I, i said earlier that that we only we sprint no more than three times a week and i even preface that 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 the only time you can sprint three times a week is if you really have healthy kids, if they're, if they really seem ready to go. Otherwise you should sprint no more than twice. And, and remember a lactate workout is a sprint workout. So our rest days are one of two types. One we call X factor and the other type, we go home after school and take a nap. And we do that quite a bit. And it's, it's a lot of coaches really scoff at that because They've been raised to think that schools are teenage daycare centers and that sports are just a continuation of that teenage daycare center, and it's not. Uh, for me, track and field is all about performance. It's not about keeping the kids till 5 o'clock. So I will literally send my kids home. One time uh, this year, Marcel Smore, after running in the New Balance Nationals in March, I sent him home on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He said, Coach, I'm good to practice. I said, go home and take a nap. It was the best thing I ever did for him. He stayed fresh through that, you know, extremely mentally demanding time and all that. So I'm a big believer, and especially since kids, you know, our, our kids are in class for six periods a day. Uh, it's, 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 that's a lot of, if, if I was working with Andre DeGrasse where his job was track and field, yeah, maybe we would do things quite differently, but but since I'm working with high school kids, I really think you send them home once in a while, and they just come back so much better. Now, talking about X Factor, what X Factor is, is that we have to get some relief from the boredom of sprinting, because our sprint workouts all look just about exactly the same. We do our mechanics, I coach sprinting every day, and then we do three short time runs, maybe three times 10 meter fly, or three times 20, meter, 20 yard fly, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it would be really boring if we tried to do that every day. Plus it would be counterproductive. You can't sprint every day, you just can't do it. So X factor for us is just alternative type things. We call it X because X stands for unknown. We do mobility stuff, uh, strength, plyos, we do balance work. Uh, our football coach comes out and helps us sometime. He gets the kids going through some football agility things. And our only rule is that we never do anything for more than five seconds. And then we have complete rest in between reps. That's the only, and, and, and we don't sprint. 
those are the only things that are our rules in X Factor. But X Factor is really just a, a way for us to do something when we're not sprinting. I wanted to take a quick break to update you guys with a few things that are happening with our sponsor, Simply Faster. Uh, first off, their blog is now more frequently updated and popular than ever, offering a lot of great articles on topics across the spectrum in sports performance, sports technology, speed training, and more. Uh, also, in terms of their product line, so they are no longer carrying the Swift mat, but they have made some really great upgrades in the contact grid and force plate world. So check out what they're doing with the contact grid made by Muscle Lab. It's an infrared optical contact mat. It can be used for jumping and sprinting. It does a lot of sprint assessment like OptoJump. Uh, you can get contact times, even things like stride length and flight times. Uh, it also does a lot of jump functions, and some of the best sprint coaches in the world right now are really loving it. It's also insanely affordable compared to an OptoJump system. So check out what they have there on the contact grid. Uh, also, they have Hawken Dynamics force plates, dual force plates, uh, which offers a deep dive into assessing force production capabilities. Just wanted to give you that update really quickly. Let's get on back to the show. I really like that X Factor Day. I, I The first time I heard it from you, and I think I was really like, well, that's a pretty cool deal. Like, And the more I hear about it, the more I understand that. And, and the question, I guess, before I finish this thought, but you said a lot of your sprint workouts look the same. So in some ways, kind of the, the periodization or the all, the fluctuations in the workout itself as time progresses, a lot of that's coming from the novelty of the X Factor then. Correct, yes. Uh, the, the things that we do in X Factor, we, we have seven or eight things that are just go-tos that we try to get, we try to hit every week but it's not every X Factor workout. And then we will also throw some things in, you know, like I'll see something on Twitter and say, gee, that's really stupid. And then I'll see something on Twitter and say, wow, I like that. And and I saw some Irish guy or something uh, 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 posted something last year on assisted plyos. And I was like, I love it. So we did assisted plyos, the next X Factor workout. <laughs> Kids loved it. It made sense. Uh, so yeah, we do, we do things. We, we jump off of bleachers and land like a cat. We call them cat jumps. Uh, we we do we do some things that maybe other schools don't do, but it is very refreshing, I think, and uh, I think it's great. Our football coach loves it because we're doing some some lateral things, and I, I think sometimes sprinters get hurt because they only do one thing, and that's mm -hmm. 100 miles an hour north and south, and uh, so we we do a lot of retro running and sideways agility things i think all that helps so it's kind of like in a way recreating some of the demands of team sport and in, in a fun and less than five second manner yep yeah and and, and an x-factor workout would never last more than 40 minutes we never practice more than 40 so I, I guess it could last for 50 during the winter sometimes it lasts 50 or 55 minutes but yeah it's it, it it's fun for coaches because because we can do whatever we want and usually you know, I, when I see something, I say, I like that. And when I see other things and say, I don't like that. Um, I saw our football coach one time that had our guys like crawling under barbed wire or something, you know, like on their, like a Navy SEAL type thing, mm -hmm. you know. And I didn't say anything, but I was like, coach, that's really shit. You know, that's just a terrible, I don't like that. But, you know, he didn't do that again because, you know, we just keep talking about what kinds of things we're trying to do. And, you know, if you teach kids a crawl under barbed wire, it doesn't hurt them any. It's just, yeah, it's not as good as other things. 
Yeah, the, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm not a football guy, but I it's uh, it's interesting to watch some of those videos. Like we had just kind of uh, did a little exchange <laughs> on Twitter, so I, uh, I I can just look and 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 be amused sometimes. I think. Yes. Uh, but that, uh, yeah, I, I with the X Factor too. I like the idea of, and I heard somebody say this: like, what's the point of why do we change things? Why do we make changes year to year? And the like, the idea is myelination, so we can continue to myelinate, myelinate those pathways. We're learning, or there's something to learn routinely. And I think myself sometimes, okay, well, what's the balance like between doing all the same stuff every single workout every single year versus completely changing it? And it's almost like the X Factor is a creative kind of solution to to have that that day of, of novelty and and different uh different work and it it makes a lot of sense to me i feel like there's more things i like about it every time i look at it and the different kind of mechanisms it operates on yeah i, I think i just don't think you can be the same every day and but but then again if we're trying to be good at sprinting that's very specific so you know we have to do that so that's kind of the boring repetitive stuff and of course, there's nothing wrong with repetition because that's a pretty good way to learn things. Talk about myelination and all that kind of stuff in the brain. Yeah, it's really important. But then it's it's good to switch it up and make the body do different things and learn different things as well. So it's really just a, a, a way to fight boredom. Yeah, and doing it for the for the non-specific. It was like the podcast I just did with uh, uh, Matt Van Dyke and Max Schmarzo. They were talking about using kind of like variety in the non-specific to stimulate growth there versus obviously once you get to sprinting, you know, there's only there's a very narrow window of ways to truly get faster. So uh, I, I totally I totally hear you with that makes makes sense. Like how much do your actual sprint workouts change from year to year? Like your core? I mean, are you doing like just di- different iterations? Are you doing different like fly lengths or it's pretty much the same thing, but the competition and, and the uh, the ranking recording and publishing helping keep that motivation or is there much variation year to year? No, there's 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 basically no variation. We do. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 terribly boring. I I fight through the the ten speed drills we do every day, and like I say, we're not just warming up though. We're they're speed drills. I that is my time. My group's always over fifty kids, so that's the only time I can truly coach sprinting because when kids are actually sprinting, they're running with their reptilian brain. Uh, they're not thinking. It's it's there's no way to say get your knees up to a guy traveling 10 meters a second, that's not going to happen. But when they're doing speed drills, I know speed drills is kind of like, oh, if you just do, say speed drills, you're living in the 80s or something. But speed drills te- allow me to teach sprinting. And, and not all my 50 guys are as fast as Marcellus. You know, I got guys that, that really need the help. So uh, I, I'm trying to coach a group. And, and so, so I think that if you saw my sprint workouts, 15 years ago and saw them last year, you would see no difference, no difference at all. And I have to fight, you know, the fact that just as coaches, we want to do something different. And sometimes when you're doing the the right things, you got to stick with it. No matter how boring it is, you just got to drink your coffee and and go out there and, and be half crazy and excited. And then, like you say, the record rank and publish is critical to what we do. Uh, the free lap is critical. The fact that, that every kid will see their time from that day posted on Twitter with a picture or a video or something. And I tell them that there's, there's a billion people in China that are checking their times 
every night. And, and if, if you forget your spikes, that's your problem. <laughs> and, you know, you're going to be a laughing stock uh, in some household. Like, look, look at what time that guy ran. We had a kid that was, uh, he's in the NFL now, Capri Bibbs. He was with the Broncos last year. He's with the Niners this year. And I, I'll never forget, he, uh, he skipped out after speed drills. I said, Capri, you're our best athlete. What are you doing skipping out? He goes, Coach, I didn't bring my spikes. And he just expected me to understand that, that you know, if you don't bring your spikes, you're not going to run fast. And he didn't want to run a slow time and embarrass himself. So we have that culture that, that every rep we do is meaningful and significant, and kids love it. One of the reasons they love it is because we run solo and no one loses, which I think is a kind of an interesting idea. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, uh, actually, along that last thing you just said, I wanted to ask you, uh, competing in practice. So what's your take on when to run alone and when to sprint together? How much of your workouts or which workouts are your guys running by themselves? And which ones are they running side by side? All of our off-season work is solo. Um, all of our sprint work in season is solo, with the exception of once in a while, we will do what we call competition flies with free lap because two cones can measure two guys. So we will actually have two guys run through and they'll compete against each other. Sometimes we get guys to run times they've never felt before. And of course that's the holy grail of sprinting is to, is to run a time that you've never run before in your life. Because once that happens, you start building on that. You, you keep P, you're running PRs and all that. And over a four year period, you get pretty fast by doing that. So, so yeah, we run solo with the exception of, let's see, we're solo in our 23-second drill, uh, but we, we run in groups of three or four in our 4x4 uh, four four predictor. We, we do run in groups there. I think that's the only time we ever, and we're not even competing. We're just running for time mm -hmm. then. And uh, I, I tell people that we compete in meets, and we're going we're to wait and, and turn it on at that time. Yeah, it seems like the lactate workouts is where you need the most help <laughs> with somebody running next to you to kind of uh, take that that advantage on. And uh, I mean, that four by four predictor for six hundred meters sounds pretty tough. So I I would certainly take three, two three guys running next to me for that one. Yeah, and the the twenty three second drill is is just as bad because I don't know what it is, but but uh, we actually do it indoors. We have a one eighty meter track, and we actually go twenty four seconds because our curves are deadly, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we want them. We want our best guys to make the 200 mark. So <laughs> it is just frightening to see how fast guys will run and how hard they run when they're chasing a distance instead of running a fast time. It is uh, every coach that's copied it. And by the way, Chris Corfus, you know, I, I learned about the 23 second drill from Chris Corfus in 2006, and uh, and because of me, there's probably. 500 coaches in the United States that are doing that drill now uh, because I talk about it all the time. Yeah, I like the idea of, and I think this is applicable to just about anything, but the idea of just flipping what the typical outcome is on its head a little bit. Like even in the weight room, like, hey, instead of doing five reps, I want you to do as many squats as you can in five seconds. Go. Like, and, yeah. and watch the set just totally change the dynamic. Um, and I, I first started doing that with squats and half squats for time uh, about five years ago and loved it. Uh, yeah. And so I, I think that stuff is great, especially like you said, like something when you are doing something as like routine as, as 
you know these proven the same proven max speed workouts it's probably nice to have a different outcome than just what's the clock like how far did i go is kind of like a, a little novelty too i i, I mean it makes a good sense of motivation to me i think that's really interesting well thank you yeah i think it is too uh, i was going to mention too while we're talking about speed and lactate uh i say this i just came to the realization in the last year or two uh that this is a crazy admission but my kids are faster in the preseason than they are in the season and that's a crazy statement because people say, well, you should be fired as a sprint coach if they're not as fast in season as they are in the winter. But when I'm talking about how fast they are, we're, I'm talking about how fast they are at max speed. The 10 meter fly times by the end of the winter are so fast. It's just, it's crazy fast. And I've gone to the point of, we never measure a 10 meter fly time during the season anymore because guys cannot match their times from the winter. And the reason why they can't is because our focus has changed from pure speed to speed over 100 meters, speed over a 200 meter distance, and speed over a 400 meter distance. So even those, those lactate workouts are, they're obviously great, but they literally slow us down. So I've gone to the point where we no longer measure 10 meter flies, we will run 10 yard flies. And it's easy, yard marks are easy on the track because every hurdle is 10 yards apart. We'll run 20 yard flies. We'll run 30 yard flies. We'll go to the hurdle marks on the curve and run a 35 meter fly. But I will not let my sprinters feel slow ever. They don't realize it anymore because we don't time the 10 meter fly, but they are slower pure speed wise. But we trade that, of course, to be faster than the 100, 200, 400. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I had heard you say that before, and that was I, that immediately got the wheels turning in my head. I was like, okay, wait, why are they going slower? But yeah, it's adapting to the the race endurance and and the lactate workouts. Uh, I I think that's ingenious too, like making it ten yards. Like, cause I've always thought, yeah, once you, as sprinter too, I imagine rides momentum and and pring as much as anybody and. And as soon as you see that 10 meter fly time, say you're you're slower, well, you maybe you start to believe it. I that's such a that's such a smart way of just tweaking just the the measures measuring stick. I think that's uh, yeah universally well, in applicable. The winter, in the winter, we do about 70. I'd say 70. Each guy is probably 70 to 110 meter flies. So we we've, we've done it a lot, and and so so then we get to the season, and if we do like six or seven different distances. I can brag on Twitter that night that 18 guys ran a PR in the 20-yard fly and make them feel like they're more significant, more meaningful, they're getting fast, all those things. Basically, what I'm doing is giving kids a chance to PR multiple times in practice, which is, I think, a key to my sprint program. Yeah, setting a PRs is, is such, I mean, that's that's what tracks, uh, you know, such the, the highlight probably is the feeling you get when you set a personal best. Uh, I, uh, I was going to ask you, too, uh, like, how much do those 10, I mean, when you were measuring, how much were those times going down in season? Like a couple, just a couple hundredths typically, or a hundredth or two, or how much, what, well, how big of a hit were you, these guys taking once the season was going? Uh, basically, like Marcellus last year, he ran his best time in the 10-meter fly during the winter was 0 0.92. Uh he didn't run it one time during the season, of course, or, but 
his best time probably would have been 095, 096, just because the wear and tear of the season, the lactate workouts, the meat from Saturday, the lactate workout from Tuesday, those things really beat kids up. So, uh, but looking back, I guess your question is really like how much of a hit they were taking. I would say guys that were running 098 could never break one in season. It, you know, it was like three hundredths of a second, but that's pretty significant. If you know anything about 10 meter flies, that's, that's, uh, that's the difference between being, you know, like, well, the difference between 098 and 1.01 is probably the difference between 1085 and 100 and 1110 and 100. So it's, it's a pretty big difference if you lose three hundredths of a second. So I just don't want my kids thinking about that. So we just stop measuring it. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's interesting. I, I I like that you mentioned too, like the wear and tear of meats. Like meats are the most intense training that you can do, and and that with keeping that in mind as well. Yeah. So of course, people forget that. Yeah, maybe maybe your best sprinter only runs six hundred meters of sprints, but gee, they they work their butt off and and uh, and warming up. I mean, they 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 sprint for ten minutes before every sprint. So yeah, it's just a huge workout at meats. And yeah, we never ever practice the day after a meet. We just, even if it's a Monday, we send our sprinters home uh, on Tuesday and just say, go home, take a nap. Yeah, naps, naps are key. Naps are key. Uh, Tony, last, uh, last kind of formal, I guess, training question is uh, so uh, low volume work. Uh, with that in mind, what's your take on sh- like sharpening, peaking, tapering, whatever you want to call it, uh, through, in the midst of not necessarily having done a massive amount of work? Yeah, I, I I always say I don't believe in periodization, but in a way, I guess I do. Uh, we we have periods of, of when I say goodbye to my kids at the end of the track season, they can do whatever they want in the summer. I don't encourage club track. I don't encourage the only thing I encourage is football. Um, we have a great relationship with our football program here, uh, and then and then in the fall, I hope kids are playing football, and then in the winter. It's pure speed, and then the season, it's some lactate work and a lot of rest. So I guess there is some periodization going on there. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, the pure speed of the winter compared to track speed in the fall. Um, I, I, I want to peak often during the year. Uh, high school track is a little different than college track, where maybe there are no meets that are significant until the until the conference meet or the NCAAs or whatever. But we want to peak often. We have kids that they're young and they can run PRs over and over again. Um, An interesting thing about peaking, uh, Marcellus, who we mentioned earlier, ran 10.40 in the prelims of the state meet. The next day he ran 10.65 and got second. And he was pretty crushed because he'd been bulletproof all year. Uh, 10.65, and I actually had a coach that was brave enough to ask me, do you think that your low volume failed, Marcellus? Uh, And maybe if you would have had more volume, he would have run better than 10.65 in the finals. And I thought a lot about that, and a lot about that, and thought more about it. And, And finally, I answered the guy and said, said, actually, if we would have been high volume with Marcellus, he would run 10.75 on Friday and 10.95 on Saturday. 
he would have been slower throughout. He would have never seen times in the 10 force. So, you know, you got to be careful not to overreact to uh, a small failure. And I don't think, I don't think it's a small failure even uh, to run 10.65 after you ran four races the day before and get a second in the state and you're only 14 years old. But as coaches, we have to ask ourselves those questions. So, so I wondered whether or not, you know, I should change things to do a better job of peaking Marcellus on the last day of the, of the season. But I think we did things exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's a great way of looking at it. Just because I do think we're always kind of tempted to be like, okay, well, you know, maybe I, maybe I should go this direction, but I think having that, uh, kind of uh, core set of beliefs on what you what you know uh, works and is in the athlete's best interest and is at the the core of what you do and kind of holds everything together um, against kind of like some of the outside outside factors that might drag the program in a in a completely different direction and, and lose the the heart of what you're doing. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of kids definitely lose that core speed. I I uh, with with the endurance work. I like what you said too about like kind of the it's almost like the triple periodization of the year with football is like the first speed peak and then your your 10 meter flip so it's then it's 10 meter fly season and then it's full sprint season kind of in a way and and same but different as, as strength coach dan john likes to say I've, I've i like that stuff i think a lot about that type of concept yeah i'm i'm pretty certain that that what we're doing is the right thing especially at our level yeah i think you're i think you're doing a great job tony and and uh every time i hear you talk i I haven't been a high school track and field coach, so I, um, I it's it's always stuff I would take with me if I ever was. So I, I, I appreciate that, and it's uh, great having you on the show today, man. I, I I always learn a lot and enjoy talking to you. So thanks for being a guest today. It's been fun. Thanks for tuning in today uh, for another episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't hesitate to leave us a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you haven't hit that subscribe button to subscribe to what we're putting out every week, I uh, really appreciate it if you go ahead and do that because uh, we, you know, I, man, the guests I've been getting on the show are just top notch and really excited to bring what they have uh, to your phone or computer or however you're listening to the show. Uh, please don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. Mention a little bit about them in the mid-roll, what they're doing. But amazing blog, great products, uh, they top of the line in each category. Uh, it's kind of, it's not like um, going to the supermarket where you just have a million things and, and you're not sure which one is the best. Uh, they do so much work on bringing you the best of each category in the sports tech and sports performance industry and uh, just doing great things. So check them out. And if you're looking for... The best tools in the game, KBOX, 1080, free lap timing system like Tony had talked about, how he uses to rank, record, and publish. Uh, give him a look. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest. In the meantime, have a great week. Make the best of it, and we'll see you on the other side.